Ciao ragazzi and welcome to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio Told Like It Is. I'm Frank Crivello and along with me is Richard Carmen. Ciao Richard. Ciao Frank, how are we doing on this uh, Monday evening? A long time no talk, man. <laughs> yeah, what has it been, uh, 24 hours? <laughs> yeah, just about, <laughs> just about. Uh, uh, doing all right, you know, the, uh, the pain of the uh, Derby defeat subsides with each passing day, um, you know, I've I myself have gotten to that age where I think, uh, and I've told you, I've told you this many times. I think, uh, you know, as far as sporting events go, if you didn't play in it, um, you know, and it's your favorite team or whatever, you, you know, after the game, your team loses five minutes to kick your dog, break something tasteful, be grouchy, be angry, then get on back, get back on with your life. I woke up this morning, put my pants on the way I always do, um, the same way, one leg at a time. Uh, I know you jump into yours, that's so right. that's, that's right. On Monday mornings, especially. <laughs> right, so uh, so you know, nothing changes with life. It's a it's a defeat. We move on. Uh, you know, we go from there. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, you know, it's the same thing. Uh, luckily, you know, we have work that you know usually hits us first thing in Monday morning. We like forgot about the game, but um, you know, typically, I, I you know, I I'm the same way. Five minutes, five ten minutes, and then I'm done with it. Um, especially when I think the other team, if the other team you know beats our team and they beat it because they deserved it. I'm fine with that. It's when, you know, sometimes when there's like, you know, cheating involved or whatever we think is cheating or we think it's bad calls, that sometimes maybe lasts a bit longer. But typically, five, ten minutes after the game, I'm like, all right, you know, Inter were the deserved winners in that game. I'm not going to yep. lie. So I was completely fine with it. Of course, sure. a coworker who knows, who's an Inter fan, knows I'm a Milan fan, kind of rubbed it in my face this morning, but I took it, with a, I took it as, as you should. Sure. And let's talk about that derby real quick. I mean, first of all, be, you know, before we jump in and talk about this, if you haven't yet, uh, check out the play-by-play pod that was just put out that Richard and I were guests on along with Alex Dono uh, and uh, hosted by Sabrina Belmonte and Jerry Mancini, uh, guests of ours uh, in the past. Um, we had a very thorough discussion on what went down in that Milan derby, uh, you know, where we got into a lot of the finer points of the game. Uh, you know what it meant to for both teams and uh, what it means for both teams going forward. It's an excellent podcast. I took the time to listen to it, um, and uh, you know everything was great. I think uh, Jerry was inconvenienced by not having a dog in the hunt, uh, but uh, uh, between you know with with Sabrina, Richard, and myself being Milan fans, Alex being an Inter fan, uh, but nonetheless he did a nice job of hosting and moderating and uh, you know bringing us in for the questions and that sort of thing. And so Jerry, Sabrina, grazie. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, we'll have you guys back on soon, and I'm sure they'll they'll have have us back on soon, or at least we hope, right? That's right. Now let's okay. You can play a fun drinking game while listening to the podcast. Every time he mentions Immobile, you just take a shot. <laughs> You'll be hammered halfway through too. <laughs> halfway so. to the opening. <laughs> Half yeah, exactly, exactly. You won't even get to hear anything. Um, so. <laughs> So it's just not so. Let's see. In uh, case you were living under a rock, uh, the Milan Derby took place on Sunday. Uh, Inter was host uh, and uh, came with its usual pageantry. The ultras really brought it. Uh, the Curva Nord, the Curva Sud, excellent atmosphere overall. And then, uh, lo and behold, they played a. Uh, and it was Milan who really dominated the first half. Uh, just controlled the game. Uh, Took a 2-0 lead at halftime through Rebic and Ibrahimovic. Um, 
much was speculated about how Milan was going to come out, Richard, and how they were going to start, how they were going to complete, how they were going to play. Were you surprised that Milan pressed uh, Inter in the first half? I mean, there was a lot of pressing, a lot of getting after the back, which led to balls being won in the middle of the field. Really, you know, and we touched on this yesterday, made Inter predictable. You know, and I think made them predictable in how they played, forced them into a lot of direct balls that they didn't want to do, you know, and, and took them out of the things that they wanted to do. And I think it uh, it took midfielders away from being able to link up with forwards. That was another key thing that I noticed. Uh, you don't get the Barellas and the uh, and the Brozoviches of the world being able to combine and connect with Alexis and, and Lukaku because they have to come come back so deep for the ball. I thought that the game plan was extremely aggressive for Milan, and for 45 minutes it paid off. I was and I wasn't, right? So we knew, we talked about this on the podcast before, that the way to get to enter is do what Slavia Prague did and press them, right? Yep. We saw that was the key to success in defeating them. Did I think Pioli was ever going to do that? No. But clearly he was watching that game and, and took some pointers of that because I think he did exactly what Slavia Prague did. He pressed them out. You know, They were completely underdressed for the entire first half, didn't know what to do with themselves, and, and, and Milan took advantage of it. I was pleasantly surprised. Unfortunately, Milan did not keep that up, and, and Inter found ways around that. Uh, but I thought it was excellent, excellent piece of managerial uh, um, tactics by Pioli to start the game, and it obviously showed that he was paying attention to what other teams were doing who were successful against Inter. Unfortunately, like we said, he didn't keep that up throughout the ni- full 90. So, No, he didn't. Um, how much of it is, do you, how much of this do you think, because I've been trying to replay this over and over again, and you know, Ibrahimovic alluded to it in his presser afterward, and I had it written and I, I posted this on Facebook on my own personal page. I don't know if you happen to catch that. Um, Ibrahimovic was interviewed after the game talking about how important those first 15 minutes of the second half were going to be coming out of the dressing room and that's something that they talked about at halftime. Um, and I wrote that, I can't believe I just typed that word for word, first 15 minutes of the second half, huge yeah. for Milan, keep the pressure on Inter but nothing foolish to concede a goal. Um and lo and behold, in the 51st minute, uh, the goal of the week from Marcelo Brozovic completely uh, changes the momentum and swings the momentum of this game. Uh, and attempted, whether it was a cross or it was a shot by Kandreva, um, it deflects. It goes in the. It, it it deflects high into the air. It comes about comes down about 25 yards away. And Brozovic, and as I mentioned this on the podcast. The degree of difficulty to finish that strike is a 9.9 on a scale of 1 to 10. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, the ball's kind of going away from him a little bit. You've got to get it right on the sweet spot of the ball. You've got to have your opposite shoulder dipping. There's so many things you got to do to get the technique on that strike right. And he did. And he put it in the one spot where Donnarumma was just not going to get it. It was a brilliant strike uh, to get Inter back into the game. And game on and really a punch in the mouth to Milan after they had gotten away, you know, throwing the key punches and basically winning the, winning the early and middle rounds is if we're going to make a boxing analogy. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. And, and Alex Donald kind of referred to this to last night where he said, no, Brozovic is the way Brozovic goes, the way Inter goes. Right. And so the first half we saw, he was very frustrated. He wasn't much in the game and that thus Milan were taking advantage of it. But then uh, come out of that second half, I would love to hear what, what Conte said at halftime. I'm sure it was just all expletives. Uh, but Brozovic came out. That goal was world-class. I don't care what anybody says. They hit that off a of volley. Anyone who's played soccer knows how hard that is to score that. All right, much less to put contact on it, but to get the accuracy and, and put it behind Donnarumma. Uh, well done by Brozovic. And 
as you can tell, as Brozovic's game rose, as did the rest of the squad, and uh, they really took it to Milan. So um, great goal by Brozovic. He really lifted the whole team up with that goal. And that just that just uh, put the wind in Inter sails. And it, as Milan were maybe trying to recover to any extent, uh, 53rd minute, here comes Inter again. It's, uh, it's a through pass played. Alexis gets to it. Um, sidesteps Donnarumma and cuts the ball back to a wide open Vecino who has an entire goal to look at um, undefended 2-2 and just like that it's a whole new game and just like that Milan who were in experiencing the joy of the first half the joy at halftime all of a sudden it's turned into a total disaster yeah, and I kind of knew it was game over at that point. When I saw that goal came in, I was like, oh, the stadium is alive. When San Siro gets alive, it doesn't matter who the home team is, the, re- the opponent's going to feel it. And uh, San Siro, or Giuseppe Miazza, came alive, you know, Inter with the homes and hosting this one. Uh, they came alive, and really, I, there was no way back from Milan. I mean, especially the way they were playing, they, were just, they didn't change anything after those goals. And they continued playing the same way, and Inter just continued pressing on and attacking them. And uh, it took a while for the, the next goal to happen, but. Um, it was inevitable, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, at, you know, after that goal, it it looks like Milan settled down a little bit and Inter settled down a little bit. and um, But it was Inter still doing the pressing and forcing Milan into the mistakes for me. Um, but what I saw with both teams in possession, once it got to 2-2, I think both teams got cautious again. You didn't see either team really trying to make, you know, they played to avoid the critical mistake that would put them behind. And you saw a lot of that going on, which to me means the a, a goal that's coming that's going to be really, really odd or it's going to be something pretty special or, or pretty significant. And in the case of Inter going ahead 3-2, it was De Vrij. And, you know, there's not a whole lot you can, and I said this last night, there's not a whole lot you can blame Romagnoli for. He tracked him. You know, this is about a player that's willing to sacrifice his body uh, to score a goal. This is a this is a guy that's willing to get kicked in the head to score a goal when you consider where DeVry scored that goal from. And that is, you know, another 9.9 on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of degree of difficulty, and he finished it. Um, and then that was the, you know, as, as the announcer said, the turnaround is complete. Um, and uh, DeVry might have been Inter's best player in the first half. Uh, at least when I wrote my notes, I thought he was the best player in the first Crucial half. And stop he... in the first half to prevent an own goal. Yep. And uh, here he here he comes and scores the winning goal and, and arguably a man of the match. If he's not man of the match, he's one of the three best out there, uh, along with Brozovic and Vecino. Absolutely. And I also thought that his uh, his compatriots in the, in the defensive line, Skriniar and, and Godin, were better than Milan's back line. Uh, so it was a tale of the, just the, the better player or the, the players for Inter wanted it more. Uh, they showed that, you know, DeVry doing what he has to do both in the defensive end and the offensive end to try to get goals. Uh, and then you have key players like uh, Vecino and Brozovic stepping up. Uh, really, was a, it was a great performance by Inter overall. The second half, it was a tale of two halves, no doubt about it. But Inter's half was better than Milan's half. So uh, deserved winners. How about that free kick from Erickson? He almost broke that. He almost oh, broke that. Great oh. shot. Barely wow. any movement on that shot, but oh, what a shot. It would have been great if he scored just from, you know, being his, like his, uh, being in the big derby. And it seems that when, when the derby has a new, uh, a new element for the first, new player coming in for the first time, they always seem to do something. Ronaldinho scored in his debut for Milan. And, and 
all these different all these things in the past where new players come in and obviously Ibra scoring in this one he's been notoriously an inter killer in these derbies. Um, it, it would have been something special had he scored, but you know he didn't. Uh, it was a great shot nonetheless, and I, I'm surprised they didn't score on the rebound on that. Honestly, yeah, um, it was. Uh, here's where I'm. Here's where I'm at with Milan on this. Um, and Pioli said some words after the match that he was angry about the team, the team's lack of defending, angry about the young player mistakes that are continuing to get made out there. And I think that he, you know, I'm paraphrasing him. Saying that um, you know you you guys have no idea how special you can be as a team if we can if we can figure out a way to avoid these mistakes and figure out a way to avoid these lapses because I think in general I think there were lapses in concentration that led to Inter's goals uh, the first and the second one the third one you know that's good man marking by Romagnoli that's about as much as he's going to do and about the only thing left for him to do was to kick Devray in the head and you don't want to get sent off in a match like this. Uh, so, so that makes it three, two, but I think that, you know, you go in with a two nil lead. We talked about it last night. It's the most dangerous lead. The two goal leads, the most dangerous lead to have in the game. And Pioli must've had a, a script and must've had a plan. Okay. If you know, we can go through these 15 minutes, two nil up minute 60, I'm making X change. Okay. And then minute 75, I'll make Y change and then Z change somewhere towards the end of the game. You know, those two goals came so quick and so fast that as a manager, now all of a sudden you're scrambling. I mean, it takes him almost 80 minutes to finally make a substitution. And by then everybody was gassed. Um, I mean, there was really not much left in the tank and it was evident in how Milan played. down a goal. And down a goal. Yeah. And because you saw how they played in the first half. They were confident. There was combination play of changing the point of attack and then attack going at people. We talked about the advantage of uh, Teo and Rebic against uh, Kandreva uh, on Milan's attacking left-hand side. And then swinging the point of attack once Inter started overloading numbers to give Kandreva some help. Samu was on. So they read the game really, really well. They read what Inter was doing really, really well. When they fell behind 3-2, they went back to doing what they were doing against Hellas Verona the week before. They were just, they were pumping early crosses and just maybe Ibra gets his head on one. Um, and it was just ironic that their best chance of the second half came from a combination that freed up Paqueta to cross it. I, yeah. I, you know, some of it's fatigue, that they resort to that. And I, you know, that's just the human element of being a footballer that you're going to just start lumping crosses and doing things like that because it takes a lot of extra effort to try to do things, to make runs, to get in behind defenders and, and, and ping those little one twos or ping some of those up back and throughs that were working. But that was gone. And that was very, very evident. And Milan was the team in the second half as predictable as Inter looked in the first half. Milan got predictable in the second half and it maybe hurt them from from doing what they could have done to get back in this game. Predictability and attack plus fatigue equals just a Milan that just wasn't going to get back in this game. Absolutely, and I think part of blame you got to give to Pioli because kind of like you mentioned, they were pressing so high. It's a, it's a very a high fatiguing uh, tactic that they're going with. And so, as you mentioned, you know, if they thought they're going to be in a two nothing lead, I think regardless of what, what the scoreline would have been. In the 60th minute, you thought would have, something would have happened because guys would there would obviously be players that would be fatigued with this kind of uh, pressing game that they were doing, um, and especially when they go down when they get those two goals, intricate those two goals back to back, a change should have happened. He just let it be as it was and hoped the team would you know turn around and get back into the play, 
and then he waited till they you know Inter goes up three two to finally make a move, and I think that's too late, too little, too late. He should have made a move a lot earlier. The guys are obviously fatigued, as you mentioned, and it's and it's only part of the equation, obviously. But um, when you're playing this kind of pressing system, you need to keep fresh legs out there no matter what. And I sure. think he failed to do that, and it kind of it was part of the problem of why the team lost. Not it's not only him for sure; it's the players as well. But uh, I think he could have tactically done a better job. It it meant pressing meant a lot more ground for Benacer and Cassie to cover. And they were um, in support. If 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 Akan is going to go press a, a player on the ball, or if it was going to be Rebich or it was going to be those guys have to step up and pinch in behind. They can't. You can't have 30-yard gaps between the attacking players trying to press Inter's defense, and then the midfield is just going to sit back and protect the back four. Um, you know, it just it's it, it's that's too much space. You got to compress things. So they're working up and down. Um, you know, finding a way. And Sabrina made a great point. This is where a, a fit Rade Krunic probably could have changed the dynamics a little bit, and you could have played three men in front of that back four. And they could absorb that that pressure from Inter a little bit better than they did. Your comment about subbing right after making it 2-2, I'm just reminded of the game at Napoli last year, the first game of the season, where they were winning 2-0, and then Zielinski scored, and then I think they got another quick one after that. And then Gattuso, I can't remember who it was, but Gattuso just throw somebody, threw somebody on. Don't you? To me, that feels like panic. That feels, you know, you know, where in this case it was, well, sure. (laughs) And in this case it was probably panic, but it was the opposite. It was, you know, okay, I didn't expect to be two, two, eight minutes into the second half. I, I don't know who to sub. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change this. I'm going to just hope we can figure out a way to get this back to what we were doing in the first half in some frame. You know, did we take, we took our punches. Can we get back up? They never got back up. I kind of hope, part of me kind of hoped that Eber would have been the common influence out there on the pitch and be like, look, everybody, it's 0 0. Let's, let's start over and, and, and play, as, play as it's a 0 0 game, like nothing else happened. I think I was hoping he would have done that. I don't know if he was trying to do that or not, but that was my hope being the veteran on the pitch to say, hey, calm, calm down, guys. It's a 0 0 game. Don't worry about it. Uh, whether that happened or not, it didn't look like it happened to me. Yep. And then uh, do get one to clinch at 4 2. Yeah, I, I saw some of the back and forth uh, about. Uh, Lukaku pushing off of Kiar. I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get worked up about that. I mean, yeah, me neither. At the at the moment that it happened, there wasn't enough for me to be convinced that there was a foul, and I didn't think anything of it at the time. I'm not gonna think anything of it now. Um, Inter win the derby again. Uh, they make this a they they make this officially a three horse race. They're level on points with Juve, with yeah. 54, and then Lazio is there in third on 53. Um, you know, but let's uh, we we've we've beaten Milan to death. Let's look at this from Inter's perspective. Um, I mean, this is something that galvanizes you. Uh, you know, to win a derby in this fashion uh, and competing for a league title at the same time. Um, this can't do anything but boost Inter's confidence, especially when they were falling apart. And let's not forget. They did this without Handanovic, and they did this without Lautaro Martinez. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I don't remember which – I think it was Donaldson uh, that said it during the telecast. He was saying, you know, teams who have aspirations to win a Scudetto 
they have to have big performances, big time games when they're when they're when all the chips are against them. They have to come back and make a statement. And I think Inter certainly did that. They certainly put their their Scudetto credentials on the line there with that impressive comeback in the second half. Conte's got to give him full credit for uh, rallying his troops at halftime when it should have been dead and lost. You know, any, a lesser manager would have admitted defeat at that point and said, "Okay, game's over. Let's just, let's turn out to get embarrassed here." Conte said, "No, let's go. Let's go and attack them. Put them on their heels." And he did that. And and four goals later, you know, they went four two. Uh, credit to him, but also to the players. Brozovic obviously stood up, and Vecino and Devry. Devry was just a monster all game. Full credit goes to Inter in this one for sure. Um, yeah, Milan maybe had some mistakes there, but Inter caused them to make those mistakes. Right, the, the way they play in the second half. Um, luckily, they weren't played off the pitch in the first half. They were; it was close enough. It had been three nothing, maybe, or something like that, going into halftime. Different story, yep. I think. Or had they that Brozovic goal that happened right away? Maybe it's a different story. But um, as soon as they got that goal, it kind of just—they were all in at that point, and uh, it was hard for Milan to come back from that. If Brozovic doesn't score that goal, does Milan win the derby? I know we were talking hypotheticals last night, I, and I hate getting into it, but I mean. If if Brozovic doesn't score, then do Milan go on and win this? It's it's tough to say, right? Because th- that certainly was a catalyst for the, all the goals. Um, I, the way Inter had been playing up to that point, it looked like they were going to be getting a goal in the game. Whether they would have won or not, I don't know. It's tough to say. I, I definitely think that Brozovic play, the Brozovic goal, was the catalyst for all the goals to come behind it because the, the stadium woke up, uh, and then once Vecino scored, it was just done. It was done. Yep. Um, and I and I kind of I kind of do agree with you on the point that if Brozovic hadn't scored that and maybe they scored a little bit later in the game, uh, you know, ten minutes from there, fifteen minutes from there, maybe they wouldn't have got that second goal or, or the third and fourth goal. So, yeah. it, it, I can under, I can see where you're coming from. Yep. Pioli, just have a plan B next time when you're two 0 up, and just just in the event that you concede two within those first eight minutes or so of the second half. Um, Another one, another one that we were talking about with uh, Sabrina last night, and she raised the point that Milan got on this high wave of momentum last season and went on a nice unbeaten run, and were really threatening for a Champions League place. Then the derby came, and they lost three two, and then the free fall happened after that, where it was just ever so late for them to recover and get that fourth spot and make the Champions League. They miss out on it by one point. I argue that this dressing room is different because of the experience of players like Ibrahimovic and Kiar and uh, Begovic, who I know doesn't play, but a guy who's played an awful long time. Those faces and those names and, and, and those that experience wasn't in the dressing room last season after the derby. Um, and for that reason, I think that I don't see the same free fall from this Elon. I'll, I see this as there's some responsible guys in there that are going to tell the young guys, okay, we played a great 45 minutes. We've got to figure out, and exactly to what Pioli said after the match, we've got to figure out how we take that 45 minutes and do that consistently 90 minutes week in and week out. Are you thinking that this is a, okay, it might take, it's not going to be a free fall. It is going to take a little bit to get over. Um, but it's not necessarily going to be a free fall this time around, or do you think that Milan supporters should be worried and that the European places could be totally out of reach? 
No, I don't think it's going to be a free fall. I think that the veteran leadership in the locker room is going to help immensely. Plus, you got some youngsters who are really hungry because there's no spots really guaranteed to anybody other than maybe Ibrahimovich. Um, yeah. So Rebic is hungrier than ever, it seems like, because you know, he kind of fell snide in the first half of the season. Um, and you know, Leal wants to make a point, and some of these other guys. Castillejo has been riding the bench for the longest time. Now he's getting opportunities. So you got some hungry guys out there. And, and even in the defensive end, uh, you got some hungry guys. And Teo Hernandez is just is just motivated player. You know, He's obviously one of the best players on the, on the squad. So... I, I don't. I don't fear there's going to be a free fall there. And it, and if really, if it, if it were me, you look at the teams that are ahead of you; they're beatable teams. There's no yep. one out there you're like, oh my goodness, we got to play. You know, yeah, Lazio, Inter, and and Juve are all way up there. But I mean, Cagliari, Bologna, Hellas, Parma—they're beatable teams. You can yep. beat them. So. Yep. Totally. Totally agree. Uh, I mean, they're only two points out of the Europa League places, and you know, yeah, Europa League is really the. Uh, realistic objective right now. I mean, to, they're 10 points behind Atalanta, uh, you know, in fourth position. Uh, you know, trying to be that team that outlasts everybody else to sixth uh, is is got to be the objective from here on out for Milan. Or at least it's got to be the floor. Um, you know, Inter obviously have eyes on a much, much bigger prize. Uh, you know, playing for a Scudetto. I mean, they're right in the thick of it with Juve and Lazio, and it's a three-horse race, and it is the most uh, entertaining uh, title race among the five major European leagues. Uh, I know that there's a pretty hot one going on in Germany, which you're following pretty closely too. Yeah. Um, but uh, but nonetheless, this is going to be exciting wire to wire. And I, I'm at a point where, you know, and we'll talk about this with some of the other contenders, I'm at a point where I don't know who's going to win this damn thing right now. I really don't. Because... And we'll we'll talk about this when we uncover some of the games that went on. Serie A has gotten wildly unpredictable all of a sudden. I it's mean, fun, wildly it? unpredictable. Fun, it? And it's make yeah, it's making it a blast to watch. And looking you're looking forward to every every match week. So um, you know, certainly uh, certainly looking forward. Uh, any other uh, post mortem comments about the derby before we move on? No, I mean, despite the result, I think it, it was a cla- one of the it was a classic derby for sure. Yeah. You know, we'd love to see the result go a different way, but you know, compared to some of the, the the derbies we've seen in the banter era for both these squads, both these clubs had banter eras at the same time. Yeah. Um, this was a certainly classic, uh, and it, it's up there. It's going to go down for a while because it, it was a fun game. I mean, the two nothing in the beginning, and then you know, four goals back the other way. So a fun game overall. I'm sure neutrals love the game, and and obviously the tifos were amazing for both squads. So. Yep. And you had to like Christian Eriksen coming out and saying, you don't get anything like this in the Premier League as far as the atmosphere is concerned. So that was a nice little feather in the cap for, uh, for Serie A. So, uh, so much appreciated there. So I still giggle at the uh, picture of Christian Eriksen with the trophies, and he has this look on his face like, what are these? <laughs> he even made a comment. He said, I, I came to enter to win trophies because I haven't, I haven't tasted the trophies since I was at Ajax. I was like, oh, little shot to Mourinho and Tottenham. Sting. Wow. That hurts. Uh, doesn't hurt me, but nonetheless. No. Nonetheless. So uh, uh, final thoughts from everybody out there on the Derby. Go to Ad City. I sit down on their Instagram. Um, but uh, wouldn't you know it, there were nine other games this weekend. Okay. And the fun began on Friday, Richard, in the Olympico between Roma and Bologna. Uh, and it began with uh, Bologna taking a shock lead through Ricardo Orsolini in the 16th minute. 
one nil there. Uh, Stefano Denswill tucking the ball into, unfortunately, his own net in the 22nd to make it 1-1. Uh, but then it would be the Musabero show. He scores in the 26th uh, to put Bologna ahead 2-1, but it is his it is his second goal of the game, third for Bologna in the 51st, an indiv- a great individual effort, uh, a man's goal really, grabbing it from midfield, charging to the 18-yard area, beating a defender, and putting it past uh, Paulo Lopez to give Bologna the 3-1 lead. Uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan would pull within 3-2, but then a Brian Cristante read a shocking tackle there um, to uh, get him sent off. Bologna uh, quietly with three straight wins. Uh, and sitting seventh on 33 points, Mihailovic doing an amazing job with the Rosa Blue, and uh, Muso Barrow, we'll talk about him here shortly, uh, You know, having the influence and in picking up the ball here where uh, Sansoni uh, has left off with that injury. Uh, Saturday began with Fiorentina playing host to Atalanta. We've got Federico Chiesa with a goal of the week candidate, opening the scoring in the 32nd minute, and Fiorentina was in front by a goal to nil. Uh, but Atalanta do come back, and they come back through Duvan Zapata in the 49th minute. Uh, and then Casparini uh, looks to his bench and say, I've got this Malinowski fellow. He's not bad. I'm going to give him a shot. And uh, very smart of Casparini to do so because he brought Malinowski on around, oh, the 64th minute. And eight minutes later, Malinowski scores a goal of the week candidate to put Atalanta 2-1. to one. Where that would remain uh, for Ledea, getting a big win to uh, pull three points ahead of Roma there in fourth. Uh, Torino is just an absolute mess. Uh, they host Sampdoria, and they are beaten 3-1. Uh, this is uh, Longo's first game as manager of Torino, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then the uh, the goals actually happened in the second half. Simone Verde scoring in the 55th minute to put the Granata ahead. Um, but then it was Gaston Ramirez in the 70th minute with a goal of the week candidate, lovely free kick. Uh, and then five minutes later, he would make it two one, uh, playing in, uh, being played in, uh, off of some target play and then tucking the ball past 79th minute. Armando Itzo pulling Fabio Quagliarella down professional foul. Last man gets a straight red, gets sent off in the penalty area and Quagliarella, of course, Finishes that penalty to give Sampdoria a massive three points. Torino in complete free fall right now and better watch themselves uh, before it gets too late. Uh, 3-1 to Sampdoria. And then the shock of the week and the one that had everybody talking after Saturday at the Bentegori. Hellas Verona 2, Juventus 1. Uh, a game that Hellas Verona was really in control of in the first half and just played outstanding football. Had a game plan, stuck with it. Um, but it would be Cristiano Ronaldo for Juventus uh, getting the first goal on a counterattack, getting played through, having one defender to beat, step over, creates the space, finishes, scores in his 10th straight Serie A game, which is a record, and uh, Juve looks like they're getting ready to steal one. Yes, Verona were better than Juventus in this game. Juventus was about to steal one. Uh, We should point out that Kumbula scored a goal on a free kick in the first half, with his arm in an offside position at the time the ball was struck, uh, open to interpretation as to whether or not that's actually fair, but uh, something that we can get into here shortly. But nonetheless, uh, Verona press on, and uh, it would be Fabio Barini taking advantage of a mistake uh, by, I believe it was Pjanic, uh, Barini scoring in the 76th minute to level the scoring here for Hellas Verona, a new lease on life, and uh Fabio Barini again blowing kisses in the direction of Philadelphia and in the direction of David Fonte. Hi, David. Um, 
But 10 minutes later, it would be, lo and behold, they're going to go to VAR, and they're actually going to call something against Juventus, Richard. Shock. Shock. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a corner kick taken. Uh, Leonardo Bonucci gets his arm up. The ball strikes his arm. I mean, it's just one of those things that there's no way you can say no to that. Um, penalty given. Bonucci yellow carded. Giampaolo Pazzini uh, with the penalty in the sixth minute, in the 86th minute, and uh, his uh, trademark celebration to follow. Uh, Hellas Verona two, Juventus one. Uh, let's start there, Richard. I mean, it's automatic. Hellas Verona is my win- is my is my winner of the week. They, what a week! Draw Milan, draw Lazio, beat Juve. I mean, they're just and it's it's astonishing. It's a system that on the surface looks rigid, uh, rigid, but they actually play some pretty decent football out of it. Um, they get a good mix with their three-man front. You know, they got players that they start, guys like Zaccagni and, and Piscina and so forth, and then they bring on the experience like Barini and Piscini when they have it. I think that's a really good system, the way they've got it going. They've got a midfield combination there of Amrabat and Miguel Veloso. You've got the experience of Veloso. You've got the promise of Amrabat, and they're both excellent passers of the ball and can pick out a pass if you give them the room to do it. Faraoni was excellent in this game. I mean, there's – and, and Kumbula is – his price tag keeps going up. I mean, there's so much you can say about this Hellas Verona performance. Uh, so let's start there. Yeah, what a what a performance, right? And we we've been talking about this all season long. It, it's not really a surprise because they they play really good defense. You know, I mean, I tweeted this out during the game. I said, you know, they're one of the best defenses in the league. The numbers don't lie. They don't yeah. give up many goals, and they're opportunistic when they do score. So uh, the players that they have assembled there, you know. They're doing so well this season. Uh, yeah, they're, they're new boys in Serie A this year, but um, they're not playing like it at all. Um, the managers got them playing up to every game. Uh, they're probably feeling like uh, they got, they're playing with a chip on their shoulder, um, You know, telling everybody, probably telling their boys, hey, we're Serie B players and no one's giving us a chance, and they're just taking that to the house every time. And uh, the last three games are evident of that. I mean, looking, you know, drawing Lazio, drawing Milan, and then coming against Juventus and beating them. Uh, fantastic run by them, and they're in the top half of the table for good reason. The place that they're at right now is well-deserved. They're in sixth position, and they deserve every bit of that. Um, just look at how many goals goals allowed they've allowed this season. It's not much. They're one of the best in the se- and best in the, in the league, and um, it's got to be full credit to the manager. He's got his the manager's got to be one of the top picks for manager of the year this year. I, I can't think of too many who would be. Um, better than him, Gasparini's obviously going to be up there, but uh, he's got to be one of the one of the first names you think about when manager of the year. Yep, Gasparini for Atalanta, but Ivan Juric for Verona has given him a run for his money. And yet, yeah, to your point about the goals conceded, twenty four goals conceded, only Inter, Juve, and Lazio have conceded less. Pretty good names. Um, yeah, pretty good company to be in. So, uh, you know, just an excellent uh, excellent night for Hellas Verona, an excellent atmosphere. Juventus is a mess. Um, and suddenly they're a mess away. I, you know, Napoli were fired up at the San Paolo and beat them, and now Hellas Verona beat them. Um, your, your stories that Saudi may not last the season, and they might be bringing back Allegri. Um, not good when you're trying to win a ninth straight Scudetto to all of a sudden be the center of attention for all the wrong reasons with, uh, you know, talk that the players suddenly don't believe in Saudi, uh, that some miss Allegri, and... I know Dybala doesn't miss Allegri. Uh, yeah, definitely doesn't. But um, but let's talk about this Juventus team right now, who all of a sudden, 
this this is poor form for them uh, to to lose two out of three by even you know by their lofty standards. There's a chink in the armor, and uh, teams are feasting at it. Right, the Sharks are out uh, trying to trying to get all the points they can from them. Obviously, Napoli winning, and here uh, with with Verona. <coughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, it's something is not awry there. Um, obviously, it's not hurting uh, Ronaldo's form by any stretch, but defensively, they can't figure it out. Um, Bonucci is uh, taking a little bit of a step back here, uh, probably as well as Delict and and, and Demarello. Demarello needs to get more playing time, honestly. But um, overall, they're just not. They're not the typical Juve. They're out of form, as you mentioned. Um, and for whatever reason, the, the, the early in the season when they're stringing passes together and looking so comfortable, they're not so comfortable right now. And as, do the opposition have uh, something to say about that? Yeah, they're they're they're, they're making it a little tighter, making them they're pressing a little bit more. But but still, this is Juventus and. Um, they're they're in sh- they're shambolic at the moment. Honestly, I mean, two two losses in the last three games. This is not what you typically think with Juventus and the neutral. Outside of the Juventus fans, they're probably loving this because it's it looks like there's a title race for once, right? Uh, and we'd love to see us. We'd like to see us go throughout the end la- of the season with Lazio and Juventus. But um, will this last for Juventus? I don't know. I'm not so sure. Um, if they lose another game, it's very well it could happen. Who knows? But I I, I think it's a it's a blip. Uh, a rather big blip in their in their form right now, but um, I, I it, it it seems like some of these teams, Napoli and, and and Hellas in particular, have found that there's a way to beat Juventus and they're taking full advantage of it. And I think if any other opponent coming up against Juventus coming up in the near future need to take full notes on, on what these two teams have done to them to kind of um, force them uh, on their heels, if you, just you know, just put it lightly. Marilyn Pjanic. It's been a struggle for him this season. It has. Um, I mean, is it is it a failure to really adapt to what Saudi is demanding of him? Um, or are we talking about a player that has put on a ton of miles in his career? Because, I mean, this is a, he's, he's a bit of an Ironman. He's not been injured very much throughout his career. I can't, rem- I can't remember him being out for a significant period of time at any point in his career. You know, starting at Lyon and then coming over to Roma and now, you know, here at Juventus. Um, did Saudi come into this position hoping that Pjanic would be his Jorginho and, and learn the hard way that yeah. these are two different players? Um, or is it just, is it, well, why isn't Pjanic catching on? I think it's a combination of things. I, I certainly think he's played an absurd amount of minutes over the last, you know, two, three, four years, uh, really, um, just forced to play on all these big games, Champions League, a big, you know, big Serie A games, Coppa Italia games, um, lots of minutes. It wasn't much rotation before because he's obviously one of the best players uh, in the league, and so you want to have him out there as much as possible, especially for, like, set-piece situations and stuff like that. So you got that going. Um, but also I think it's, it's like you said, it's a new system with Sarri, and Sarri's really trying to – Make him a Jorginho type player, and it's not really what Pjanic is, and, and maybe he'll eventually learn it. Um, but there's going to be growing pains. There's absolutely going to be growing pains. There's always going to be growing pains when you're trying to learn a new position or a new style of play as opposed to what your what your bread and butter is. And I think it's probably what we're seeing with Pjanic now is that he hasn't quite figured out what Sari wants out of him, and he's trying to he's trying his best to do it, but it's not quite there, and it's um, not only hurting himself, but it's hurting the team overall. Fifty nine touches. Um, 18 possessions lost. That's not Pianic numbers. 
No, that's you, you not, <laughs> not from a not from somebody that's supposed to be a deep lying midfielder to help dictate the tempo and help keep the ball. Um, that's almost a third of the time you touch the ball, you're losing it, and that that needs to be a lot better. I mean, less than a fourth of the time really is acceptable if people are trying to understand or trying to measure, you know, what's acceptable for a position similar to what Miralem Pjanic plays. So. Um, that's a curiosity to me, and I think Pjanic is certainly worth watching the rest of the way to see if he gets this figured out. Because I think that he his his struggles are correlating with Juve's struggles, especially in that midfield. Um, so, uh, Sampdoria gets a critical win. Gaston Ramirez, when he gives a shit, he can be one of the best players in the league, right? Yeah, and, and that's the thing with him. It's have, wanting him to care for a, caring to be in a game because when he is there, when he's on, he he plays very well. His free kick ability. His, uh, yeah. his off the ball movement, but when he's not in when he's not in the mood, he's kind of like Balotelli in a way, right? When he's not in the mood, he's not going to be visible at all. But when he's on, right. he's on. Right. Um, you know, that's re- really all I had on Sampdoria. I mean, it was a critical win for them. But Torino, it's just it, it it's getting from bad to worse. A new manager is not fixing this all of a sudden. You know, it's getting the red card, so now they're going to have to play without him next weekend. Um, I get. A little bit of criticism because I know Stephen K. Moore put out a, a questionnaire about you know underachieving players. I just by default put Sirigu in there just because I think that you know when you're having the problems that Torino are having, and let me let me point out exactly what I mean. They've played 23 games. They've conceded 42 goals, and we're talking about some talent in defense. We're talking about Sirigu as a goalkeeper. We're talking about Armando Izzo. We're talking about Nicholas and Colo. So my rebuttal to people saying that I'm being harsh on Sirigu. Sidigo is part of a defense that has conceded 42 goals, all right? I'm not really being that harsh. Uh, he has some responsibility in this. Um, the next most goals given up, I mean, they're tied with, they're tied with Brescia for, for fourth most, and then after that, or actually tied for Brescia with third most. And then after that, Genoa giving up 43 and Lecce giving up 44. By comparison, Spall's only given up 40. Uh, you know, only, you know, only as a relative term, obviously, because Paul's at the bottom. But, you know, I, Sidigo has to shoulder some of this. He's in charge of organizing that defense. Okay? Goalkeepers, that's part of their job is organizing a defense. In the old days when you played with a sweeper, the sweeper did a lot of that. Okay? Now you're playing with these back fours, and that responsibility lies with the goalkeeper to make sure the players are positioned properly. There's got to be a lot of communication from you. If you're protecting your goal, you've got to get on the same page. And and and, and Torino plays a back three. But he's underperformed, in my opinion, deserves to be on that list. And there's a reason why I put him on there. It's so getting the red card. And Colo's not himself. Lianco struggled. Uh, you know, it's uh, last year at this time we're singing, singing Ola Aina's praises. And he's been okay. But he's not been what he was last year. And I think that this is a huge problem. And with what Torino can offer going forward, you know, it's it's one of those things. Look, you got Belotti, you've got Verdi, you know, you got Berenguer when he's in there. When Falke's fit, you've got him. <laughs> Your job is to keep play a tactical system to just keep the other team out with all that quality you got in front of you. And they're not doing it. I mean, this is the one thing that Torino needs to rely on to be successful and to have some sort of trajectory to their season, and they have failed. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame Mazzari for breaking their confidence, really. Cause, and we, we talked about this in preseason, right? It's Going into the second season of Mazzari, the team is not the same as they were. We, we knew, we praised their defense last year, how good they were, how, the, how back four and Sirigu, how amazing they were. 
But we knew under Matsadi, this it, it he always breaks the system somehow, some way. No matter how good his team plays the first season, second season they come back and they just it's complete opposite. And I think you know with a team we've seen throughout the whole season thus far up to this point, um, their confidence is low, and it's hard to come back from confidence when your confidence is that low. You need to have a, some luck go your way, and then start stringing results together before you're you're out of that funk. Uh, they're in a funk right now. Sidigu's in a funk. Their whole defensive, te- their whole team is in a funk. And it's not gonna. It's gonna be a while before they come out of it. It's gonna be a slug, a sluggish affair with them, a slow process. They just gotta hope they can start stringing some results together before uh, they start getting to the relegation discussion. They're they're not too far off of that. They're they're comfortably out right now. But keep performing like this. Keep giving up goals like you do, and they're gonna be in discussion very shortly. Torino's broken. That's all there is to it. Um, uh, and they need fixing, and they need fixing quick, or else they're going to find themselves fighting to stay in this league, which is a shame for all the talent that they have. Yeah. Um, Atalanta, uh, this is what you do. This is this is what you got to do against teams. And right now, we're Fiorentina's bottom half team, unless they get their act together, unless they get serious about who they have as a manager, because Beppe Iacchini is not the manager that can take you to a top half place can take you to a European place. So, you know, this is a guy that's keeping the seat warm until Camiso can figure out what exactly he wants to do in the summer and what his plan is going forward. And you better hope that that plan involves and includes Federico Chiesa because a player of Chiesa's talent is going to get sick of this stuff really, really quick. We talked a couple of weeks ago how, how about how the tactics that Yakini play might actually suit Chiesa because It'll op- it, it's more open for him to be able to attack and to dribble and to go at defenders and, and hit people on the counter. Uh, but on the other end, you got to figure out how to start winning some of these games. Uh, you know, another one where they're 1-0 up and they let it get away from them. And Atalanta is a very good team. Uh, but here we go again with, um, with Fiorentina dropping more points. And, uh, you know, albeit against Atalanta, but it was a home match and a, you know, a chance for them to, uh, you know, to get a win to show that, hey, you know, things are actually working here. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it, it, Atalanta are doing great things, but Fiorentina really need to turn this thing around, I think. Um, they got they got a – I feel like a broken record because they, they have a good, great young squad, um, but there's underperforming. And Ian, I agree with you. Iakini is not the man to lead them to um, – Attractive football, let's put it that way. They got some pieces there. Kies is the main piece you want to keep, and, and Vlaovic. Uh, but other than that, you, you got to figure some things out. And fi- first thing you got to figure out is as a manager who can lead you to you know where you want to go and, and get back to European uh, football. And in terms of Atalanta, um, good for them to try to be. You know, they got punched in the face, uh, and they came back and, and uh, they were clinical when they needed to be. Obviously, uh, Ilicic is having a fantastic season, as is Papu Gomez. Um, Zapata is being clinical in front of the net. Malinovsky has been a, a sensation this year coming out of nowhere. And that's kind of what Gasparini does, right? He, he keeps the guys who are, who are playing well, performing, and then he finds gems out of nowhere. And they come out and they got, he's got another you know, stud out, out of nowhere. So um, Gasparini's got to give credit, been given full credit for the kind of performances Atalanta have week in and week out. And um, the resolve is strong, and they are – I don't see – yes, Roma are technically tied with them or are three points behind them in terms of the Champions League spot, but Atalanta and the, and the other three teams in the, in the top half of uh, – in the top three spots, they're really asserting themselves separately from everybody else because Atalanta's got the offense that nobody else has, um, and they're playing with full confidence. And I don't think Roma or anybody else below them can really match that, and I think they're comfortably in fourth place at the moment. 
And comfortably because I'm getting the feeling that the wheels are falling off at Roma. Uh, granted, Sassuolo and Bologna have some pretty strong attacks, but yeah, this was a Roma that we thought had this defensive problem solved. And then all of a sudden now they've conceded seven goals in their last two games. Three at home to Bologna and then the, the four at Sassuolo where Sassuolo just played them off the park. Um has the novelty worn off with Fonseca and has the combination of Smalling and Mancini finally been figured out? You know, it's, it's funny with Mancini and, and Smalling. Um, I think it's just, I, I think it's just a, a speed bump in the road right now. I, I think together they're going to be good, but for some reason, whether it's reading off of each other or reading off the wingbacks or the center or the, the midfielders, something is not right at the moment. And they're and they're they're both making mistakes, no no doubt about that, um, and it's not helping anything at the moment. But I think they're not really the problem there. I think it's it's a it's a it's a combination of things where you know strikers aren't scoring, you're, you're starting caller off at times when you really shouldn't have. Uh, the, the the midfielders aren't helping you out whatsoever. And then Paulo Lopez makes the odd mistakes as he did last week against uh, Sassuolo, and he's not looking his normal self too. So the whole team is really off, um, and Fonseca's got to figure something out. You know. He's not used to having teams do this. He's he's used to you know being at the top of the league, and uh, but he hasn't played in Serie A before or managed in Serie A before. So uh, he's got to figure it out. And, and and teams like Roma and and Inter, even though they seem to figure it out, the Derby um, have these lulls in the season where inexplicably they go from really good to not so good. And uh, Roma are in this funk at the moment. And yeah, they lost to some teams that have um, some some firepower with them, but they're not world beaters, right? But uh, with Sassuolo and Bologna. They're not teams you're, you when you see them on the team sheet, you're you're automatically afraid of, right? Um, and so they got to figure something out defensively. I think they can figure it out defensively, focus on the defense, and the offense will come from that. Uh, you know, if they keep trying to focus on the offensive end, well, you know, Mancini and Smalling they're going to be struggling continually. But I, I think if they focus to play defensive defensive type of game, it'll and build on like with a counter or something like that. They got young speedsters on the team. Use them. Take advantage of that, uh, and stop playing Kolarov for God's sakes. Well, stop starting him. I mean, stop starting him. Know, stop starting him. Yeah, yeah him I mean, off for free kicks or whatever. But you look at Bologna right now; they've got three wins in a row. Um, they won at Spal three-one. They beat Brescia two-one. And granted, and, and so now all of a sudden they they take it to another level and they win at Roma three-two. Um, they have two. They're at the Delato for the next two games: Genoa and Udinese. They could be on uh, thirty-nine points. By the time this is all said and done, they're on 33 now. Yes, amazing, amazing. So, um, you know, we talk, we we throw the hat, we throw a Gasparini's hat in the ring, we throw Juric's hat in the ring. Mihailovich absolutely is battling an illness yeah. and managing this team into the top half, currently sitting seventh, and he's got it going on because of the addition of Musa Beto. Um, oh, what a pickup! We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and we said this could be the forward that really gets this thing moving because, yeah. um, you know, you have these nice playmakers. You have Orsolini and everything you can do. Sodiano can do some nice things. You know, when Sansoni's out there, he does some nice things. But then it was kind of a merry-go-round of strikers. You had Palacio. You had uh, Santander. Um, you know, they, they, they came to their senses about Destro. Um, you know, and, and, and realize he can't cut it. I don't even know if he's with the team anymore. He he hardly gets a minute of uh, pitch time. So now Barrow comes in, and with his pace, his power, 
his ability to run past defenders with the ball, get behind defenders without the ball. He brings a whole new dynamic to this Bologna attack. And uh, these guys are somebody, these guys are, you know, going forward the rest of the way. This is a team people need to take seriously. Yeah, and, and we don't always pat ourselves on the back, but when things like this, when we say it and it comes to fruition, you know, we got to yeah, pat we ourselves do. on the back. <laughs> we do it all the time, don't we? We beat it. Um, we beat. We beat everybody. We beat everybody to it when it comes to these guys. <laughs> but yeah, we we talked about Musa Barrow being potentially the right fit for for Bologna going forward because yeah, they had the poacher in Palacio, but he wasn't enough. I mean, you can see Musa Barrow. He can he can play the ball on the wing. He can he can move it around, uh, and then he sets up plays. He gets goals. He gets assists. He does it all. He I think is just what they need. Musa Barrow is is what he needs Bologna as well because he wasn't getting the pitch time at Atalanta, unfortunately. Yeah, he's talented. We knew that when he was at Atalanta, but there's so many good players in front of him that couldn't, you know, he right. couldn't get jump over. So um, this is just a perfect marriage here, and I think it's going to help Bologna possibly. They'll be in the discussion for the Champions League, but they, they won't get it. They're certainly going to be in the Europa League discussion for um, a good part of the of the near future. Will it be the long term of the season? We don't know, but uh, in the short term, like you mentioned, they could you know they could get easily get six points in the next two games. So um, look out! They certainly got playmakers on their team, and it seems like that things are Malavich has got them playing uh, for him and for each other. Seven saves for uh, Skoripski against the team that used to own him too should be what a keeper too should be worth noting. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got a guy like that that can keep you in games. You got guys that you got guys that can attack. Um, you know, the defending is still what Bologna needs to get sorted out. Bonnie's a promising player. We've talked about him a lot on here. Um, you know, still there's still a propensity to concede some pretty weak goals here with Bologna, but they, but what they offer going forward uh, is is pretty interesting. So, uh, and that's evidenced by the fact that they've scored 37 goals in the league this season through uh, 23 games. So. Um, all right, so that was my part of it, Richard. Have at it with the rest. Yeah, some uh, interesting games. Uh, first, we'll start off with the team that beat Roma last week. Uh, we're talking about Sassuolo. They would be on the road against Spal. Um, scoring started early when Bonafazzi scored in the 23rd minute. Gave Spal a surprising one nothing lead. Um, it lasted for the, the first half. It went into halftime one nothing, but coming out of the second half, uh, a penalty for Sassuolo, um, and Caputo would step up, score the goal, do his patented celebration, 1-1. Uh, and then, then in the 90th minute, uh, goal of the week candidate, a beautiful cross in by Barardi to Jeremy Boga. Boga scores a sensational header, but it's more the pass better than, than the scoring at that point. Um, great pass by Berardi over, over everybody. Um, they went 2-1 at the death. Uh, nice win for Sassuolo. Uh, moving on, Brescia hosting Udinese. Uh, you had to tune in very late to get any goals in this game. Uh, in the 81st minute, Bisoli would get a goal to give Brescia a one nothing lead. They thought maybe they had this one, but uh, in the in the third minute, a stoppage time, Rodrigo de Paul uh, gets a a tapping goal. Uh, wonderful, you know, ambition there, trying to get it there. Uh, he obviously wanted the goal, and he got it. He just got his toe on it, I think it was. Uh, makes it one one. Uh, Brescia Udinese draw that one. Uh, another manager we had in the discussion of uh, possibly manager of the year, uh, Rolando Maran. Uh, his team has been faltering as of late. They would go to Genoa in this one. It was uh, 96-year-old Goran Pandev in the 43rd minute getting the goal for Genoa to make it one nothing at halftime. 96. Got- he must have, wow. He had a birthday then. He did. He did. <laughs> yeah, over the holidays. Okay. <laughs> Cagliari tried. to tried. They might, but they could not get that goal. Genoa. 
uh, in the in the Luigi Ferrari win one nothing um, helps them in their in their fight to try to escape relegation. However, they were throwing a wrench in that in that when uh, Napoli would be hosting Lecce, uh, scoring started early when uh, the prominent goal scorer Gianluca Lapadula scored in the 29th minute, make it one nothing for Lecce. Arkadiusz Milik uh, coming out of the second half uh, would score to make it one one really quick. Uh, Lapadula come back in the 61st minute, make it two one Lecce, uh, and then goal of the week candidate Mancosu in the free kick uh, makes it three one. Uh, Callejon gets a, gets a uh, consolation goal, a, a goal of the week candidate goal, uh, overhead kick in the 90th minute. But uh, Lecce with a uh, a shocking win. Yes, Napoli aren't who they were before, but Lecce gets a big three points uh, that helps them stay above Genoa in the relegation fight. Uh, and then um, to cap off my games, it was a, a very difficult game. Uh, Parma hosting Lazio, uh, much like we talked about Inter. Um, both clubs, Inter and Lazio, were faced with um, difficult circumstances with you know they, well they they saw that Juventus lost and they knew they had to win and it's never easy when you know you have to win and it puts more pressure on you really. Um, Inter got punched in the mouth against Milan and they came back and and, and won that game. Lazio found a difficult against Parma to score goals. Uh, Caicedo would score a goal in the 41st minute, but they you know. We, we, when we see Lazio, we typically see many goals in their game. There will be no other goals in this game. Parma's defense was just too good. Uh, Lazio had their opportunities too, and but they didn't give up any as well. The game ended one nothing for Lazio. So uh, the two big teams uh, of the weekend outside of Juventus keep pace now with Juventus within you know tied one's tied, the other one's one point behind. So great oh, great action overall in this in this season. Um, let's start with this Lazio game. Um, we yeah. knew this is gonna it's gonna be a difficult game for Lazio. Parma are are not are no slouches by any stretch, and they played really well as of late. Um, they got a lot of playmakers on their team. They got a big big striker. Uh, defense is fairly solid. Um, Lazio found it difficult to try to, to to get some goals in this. Yeah, they got Caicedo going to goal. Good for him. I I love seeing when he scores goals, but they couldn't get back in the back of the net any other time of the game. Not unusual. I mean, first of all, uh, Sepe is an excellent goalkeeper for Parma, and yeah. You know, I mean, Lazio had 23 attempts on, had 23 attempts, which is five on goal. Um, you know, that's not typical of what you see from Lazio, but at the same time, Sepe's a very good goalkeeper. Uh, and I thought that you had some pretty solid play from the the center backs from Parma. I thought they did a nice job of making things difficult for that forward combination of Immobile and Caicedo, uh, Iacoponi and, and uh, Bruno Aldes. Um, you know, and then going forward, uh, you know, Parma did some decent things. I thought it was a pretty good debut from Caprari uh, in this game from Parma, uh, you know, putting uh, Lazio under a little bit of pressure. He got a, he had a, he had a couple of nice chances here uh, in this game. Uh, that's, you know, some of the notes that I have from this. Uh, Kortic continues to acclimate himself to Parma as well. I thought he was solid uh, in midfield. So those are a couple of. Um, those are a couple of guys that stood out to me in this game. Uh, I believe Kulishevsky came on as a substitute and tried to create yeah. a little bit of trouble. So I was going to ask you, I wonder what what do you think was the thinking behind not starting Kulishevsky in this game uh, and bringing him on as a sub? Because uh, clearly, obviously, once they, once they went down one nothing, they they thought they needed to bring some firepower on, and they brought him in late. But why not start him at the beginning of the game? Going to be Juventus's property. Don't don't want any shady stuff where he kind of just goes around and picks his ass on the pitch and <laughs> doesn't do anything. <laughs> Um, so, but wouldn't you think, I mean, but wouldn't you think the opposite though? I mean, that he would go out there and he would want to try to bag a Hattie 
Yep. Uh, you know, to, to to give a win and to try to push Lazio back. I mean, I I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going on with the uh, with the selection process there. But you know, Kuliszewski's been one of the better players and certainly been one of the revelations in this league. So it's a surprise. I think that it was maybe one of those bring him on as a substitute and go for a change of pace later on in the game, knowing that you know, because you look at this starting eleven that Parma trotted out there, and it's certainly a lot more combative. Um, you know, when you look at their midfields, they have Kuchka lined up. And I mean, they they show a four three three with Kuchka, line, Kuchka lined up as a right winger. He's not a winger. Okay, so you've got Hernani, you've got um, you've got Brugman, you've got Kurtic, you've got Kuchka, who's who are guys that can you know help patrol the midfield a little bit here uh, and maybe make things hard on guys like uh, Luis Alberto and and Lucas and Parolo. Um, but. That that would be my theory, that you start by trying to grind this out a little bit and try to keep Lazio under wraps. And if the game's close enough, you bring Kuliszewski on, uh, change the dynamic a little bit, try to stretch Lazio out. That would be my my thinking for why he didn't start this game. Uh, but when you're going for a European place, play your best players yeah. in the big games. And, I, and I'd, be, I'd be remiss if I, if I mentioned this. Sepe didn't play because he was uh, still battling an injury, I believe, in uh, Simone. Oh, excuse Columbia. me, yeah, Colombia, Columbia, yeah. Yeah, and he played admirably in his place. I mean, both teams had lots of shots. It was like you know, seventeen, sixteen, or something. It was a lot of shots for both these squads. Uh, so he did he did admirably in his in his. Uh, he played like Sepe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll do that. <laughs> I'll I'll, uh, I'll 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 climb out of the hole by saying that. <laughs> Great. Uh, speaking of holes, uh, Napoli are starting to dig themselves in a hole. They're uh, losing three-two to Lecce. Great, I mean, it's a great performance by Lecce to get you know get a win, especially after Genoa won. But um, Napoli is are struggling as of late, and uh, it doesn't matter who the manager is or what. Um, you know, going down twice, the three. Oh, yeah, going down twice uh, early on to Lecce. You know, Lapadula scoring goal, and yeah, they came back with Milik, but. Lecce just kept taking it to them and scoring those two other goals after that. Um, great job by them, but Napoli, they're giving them goals left and right these days, and it, they, defensively it's where uh, all the problems are right now, and, it, I, and it, they can't seem to figure out. I can't figure out why. they. I mean, they had Maximovic and Koulibaly back there along with Rui and, and Di Lorenzo, but you would think n- names like that, that the defense would be fairly solid, and for whatever reason, whether it's just the back line or the whole defensive shape up in general, this is very un-Napoli and very un like when you've seen all these goals go in. Yeah, but this is uh, Lecce scoring seven goals in the last two games. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah. some of this is Lecce, you know, turning this around a little bit. And, and certainly Lecce play – they try to play an attacking style. They don't apologize for how they play. And they say, you know what, if we're, if, if we're, going, if, if we're coming up to just go right back down, well, we're going to go down swinging. And we're going to go down playing our way. Yeah. And they've drawn Inter, they've drawn Milan, they've drawn Juventus in previous games. Um, you know, a couple of those games they did at home. They they drew Milan back when Milan were just a complete dumpster fire uh, under Giampaolo. Um, I want to say that was under Giampaolo, wasn't it? I don't think uh, Pioli was there yet. Uh, yeah. It was a 2-2 draw. So I'm looking at it right now. Um this damn thing jumps too fast. It's got me all the way back to 2018 now. Um, okay, yeah, 10 2019. So, yeah, it was one of Pioli's first games. Um, in fact, it was Pioli's first game. Um, so, 
you know, so still Milan was a bit of a dumpster fire at that time. And, you know, you got a new manager trying to rein things in and things like that. I and mean, you're not trying to make excuses for Milan dropping those points, but Lecce did get a point against Inter back on the 19th, which, um, uh, was an you know ended up being an important point. They drew Juventus and now they beat Napoli, so they they've beaten some giants here. Um, you know they do get pantsed sometimes on the road, as evidenced by losing three nil at Verona, losing two nil at at Parma. But they're popping up for some results here all of a sudden. Um, I didn't, I, I, but but this might be more shocking of a result than Verona beating Juventus for those that are really in the know with Serie A. Because, okay, that was great. You beat a Torino team that was an absolute free fall that didn't want to play for Mazzotti anymore, and it was obvious. Now you beat a Napoli team that looked like they were getting the wind in their sails a little bit after beating Juve. Um, you know, getting into the semifinals of the Coppa Italia, starting to piece their season together, and then all of a sudden coming up with this uh, at the San Paolo. Um, there's something going on with this Lecce team. It's it's speared by Lapadula. Uh but and Mancosu came on as a substitute and scored that free kick. Uh, you know, Falco has some influence. Saponara has found a little bit of a lease on life. We 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 poked fun at Antonin Barak, saying where the hell has he been? But he's he's had a role in this team now all of a sudden. Yeah, so yeah. they they've patched it together with some guys that, you know, you know, are playing with a lot of freedom and really, you know, they're out there playing like they've got nothing to lose and they're entertaining to watch in the process. And as far as Napoli is concerned, um, I, it's just I, I can't put my finger on it. You know, you start thinking, okay, they, they make some reinforcements. They get some guys like Demi and Lobotka and, and Politano. And, okay, this looks different, and it looks like it's going to get better. And then all of a sudden they take a step backwards like this. Um, you know, it's they're very perplexing. I mean, they had 25 shots in this game. Seven were on target. Lecce had 10 on target for, for what it's worth. So Ospina had to keep Napoli in this game. That's how bad, you know, Napoli was defensively. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm befuddled by Napoli. They're one of those teams that's just going to perplex you every week. Yeah, they are. And, and another team that's perplexing us at the moment is Galeri. Uh, they're in free fall at the moment, it seems like, after that wonderful start by them. Um, flirting with the Champions League spots now, they've just been dropping. January and February have not been kind to Galliari, uh, and it continues at the at the Ferrari, uh, losing to Genoa one nothing. Yeah, Genoa are finding a relegation fight, so they're they're going to be a little more difficult to play. But you look at the players um, both teams have at their disposal, and you would think you know Galliari should be able to do some stuff um, in this game, and they and they couldn't. Uh, yeah, they had a little bit of possession more than the other opposite than. Um, than Genoa, but I mean, overall, it's a fairly even game, and you know, for a team that probably has European aspirations, they don't play like it at the moment. And um, will will this free fall stop, Frank, or will they continue to continue dropping out and far away from the European spot and back into mid table obscurity? You know that they're winless in ten in all competitions. Yeah, I mean, they're winless of- in ten game ten games. I didn't, you know. Th- because they're so high up in the like table, it. when you look at them, yeah, when you, they're so up in the high up in the table, you don't feel like that that's actually going on. It's like the most subtle. I mean, we talked a couple seasons ago. I think we had Udinese go on like a twelve match winless streak that, like, nobody seemed to notice. I mean, nobody seems to notice this ten match winless streak in all competitions. I think it's nine in Serie A. Um, if I'm looking at this correctly, yeah, it's nine in Serie A. 
um, you know, that are, you know, nine draws or losses all of a sudden. And that's not what Cagliari signed up for when they made all of these changes and brought all of these players. And I have to believe Rolando Moran is on the hot seat a little bit here. Um, and how about this? I mean, is there a more important game next weekend than Cagliari and Napoli? I don't know. I don't think on so. On Sunday? That's going to be two just desperate teams, uh, you know, playing, uh, you know, for very different reasons. Calgary's got to win at some point. Napoli needs to win to try to get some trajectory and try and salvage their season. That might be one of the most interesting games to watch next weekend. Um, you know, so for me, they, I, I, it, I hate to say that they've peaked, but they've peaked, you know, and maybe they've been found out a little bit too. One of the things that we did talk about, and Genoa didn't really exploit this that much. They only scored once. you know. But one of the things that we did talk about is that they're still weak defensively. They're still rel- relatively weak defensively. Um, you know, Even though Pizzacane and Claban maybe played a little bit better, we've, we've said this week after week, that's not a center-back pairing that, is, that you're scared of going up against. You know, yeah, no. That's a center-back pairing that you don't have a problem working around. You know, it's it's some of the other players out on the pitch that can that can cause you some problems when Joao Pedro, when Joao Pedro is on form, when Nainggolan is on form. Um, I think the other thing that's inhibiting Calgary is the play of Giovanni Simeone. Um, this is set up for him. How does he not have anywhere from like 15 to 18 goals right now with the players that are behind him? You know, with guys like Joao Pedro and 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 Nainggolan, with guys like Cacciatore and Pellegrini playing in the wide areas and providing service, um, you know, Nandes in the season that he's having, um, you know, that's another that's another part of Calgary's team that's perplexing to me. There isn't a striker that you know Simeone's been really hard to trust so far this season uh, with with goals, and I don't think I would have said that about him uh, in the preseason. I thought this would have been set up for him to be in contention. I mean, he wouldn't be a couple kind of Yeti winner, but he would be on that first page. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, and it, it's, it's really, he's a, he's a player. Simeone is that we, we had a lot of hope for when, when he first, when he made it, came on the scene in Fiorentina and he, he's had an up and down, you know, career thus far. And, you know, it's someone who has a lot of skill. We know this, but it can't seem to put it consistently uh, in the bag. Right. And, uh, one of the casualties of this game looks like, uh, Paulo Farago uh, came out in the 15th minute for, um, Sebastian uh, Velokivic, Velokivic, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. uh, overall defensively, they need to figure something out because I mean, having someone on the bench like Gaston Pereira is not a, a viable option either. Um, they need to get find a better solution defensively, whether it's you know, go out and get defenders, uh, which you obviously can't do now with the transfer market closed. Or do a better, be better to discipline uh, overall defensively with your midfielders helping in and, and your and your wing backs. Um, otherwise, it's, it's very similar to Roma. If you're not going to be able to uh, stop up it's, when you have uh, issues defensively, you need to, you need to stop that first. Stop before stop the bleeding before you can try to uh, move forward. And uh, luckily for them, they're not as giving up as many goals as Roma are at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's you know that's another thing. I mean. They don't scare you with what they do defensively, but, you know, they also are decent enough. I mean, um, they're not in the dire straits that are, that Torino are on that we were talking about earlier. Uh, but, 
but yeah, I mean, the combination of getting some better center backs and then, you know, getting some form out of their striker would do a world of good for Calgary at this point. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, Brescia Udinese. Um, I honestly got to don't, don't got too much on this game. I, it I was, got no, it was, I, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game that I was curious to see how Udinese would perform in because uh, I thought that Brescia had been reeling, reeling enough they could maybe take advantage of that, and they couldn't in this game. And really, they're the ones who uh, had to come up with a late goal to, to draw the draw the game. Udinese, it's very hard to predict what they're, what they're going to be each week. Uh, we kind of know what Brescia, got, Brescia, Brescia has, you know, with the players that they have um, on their team. they got some good players, but they can't, you know, seem to stop any from scoring. Um, Udinese, though, it's, they're wildly unpredictable as much as, as you know, Serie A is as well. But Udinese, when we think we when we think they're going to win, they don't. And when they we think they're going to get beat, they somehow find a win. It's hard to explain with them. Yeah. Um, I just, I, yeah, I've got nothing on these teams. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> it is what it is. They got, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. They got out there. They drew 1-1. I mean, it was... One of these games that, you know, they probably could have played it in a, you know, in a shopping mall parking lot, and I don't think anyone would have missed it. Um, <laughs> Sonia wouldn't have missed it. That's about it. Yeah. Um, as an Udinese supporter, but yeah, I mean, Udinese are playing better under Luca Gotti. There's at least that. Okay, and they've they 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 had the lion's share of the possession in this game. Brescia nearly shithoused it with the uh, Bisoli goal, and then uh, DePaul finally getting a goal. I mean, the way DePaul celebrated that goal looked like, okay, relief. We're going to get a point out of this after yeah. we almost yeah. lost this game that we shouldn't have lost. Um, and he's getting some, you know, he's got some decent players. Stryker Larson's having a respectable season. Yeah. Um, you know, Fofana, we, we, we speak highly of Okaka was decent in this game in particular. Um, you know, Musso, uh, you know, did what he could. And then, uh, you know, Euronen had another huge game. I think, uh, I'm trying to see this. He had six more saves, you know, so, you know, Euronen having another impressive performance. And we talked about this last week. We'll talk about it again. Euronen's not going to have any trouble finding work after this season when Brescia, yeah. you know, after if Brescia go down, um, so it's, uh, you know, there's a couple of teams that I'm sure would love to take a shot at them. I mean, uh, you know, a Torino, for example, if they think that Sudogu is getting past it, there's some goal, you know, Cagliari could use a goalkeeper. I mean, Canio struggling, uh, you know, they got to get Robin Olsen back, but, um, uh, you know, there's some, there's some teams in Serie A that, uh, you certainly could use the services of your own. So, uh, so he's a guy that's keeping Brescia in some of these games and trying to help them get something out of these games. So, uh, you know, we talk as much as we do about Tonali and Toda Grossa and Toda Grossa didn't play in this game. I don't think, uh, Balotelli played and got hurt. So, uh, but you know, it's, uh, right now, Brescia, you're trying to figure out who from this team, aside from Tonali, aside from Toda Grossa, have any value because they're a team that I think goes down. Um, who out of this group are still appealing to the rest of these Serie A guys uh, that are going to stay up next season that they're going to want to try to maybe pick from. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's slim pickings really. And you yep. look at it. So, um, and then, you know, really, you know, the Spa, Sassuolo matchup, 
the the main talking point for me was that freaking assist by Berardi. Uh, what an assist! That really was the reason why he was a goal of the week candidate. Um, Berardi's been playing a lot better lately. The whole, really the 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 front we talked about this last week. The front, you know, the top trident or or the quadrant, whatever you want to call them. Uh, those guys are all playing well, and Berardi is certainly one of those guys who are playing well. And we it was evident with that beautiful pass to Bolga for the game winner. Yep, one of the best assists of the season, in my opinion. I mean, it was pinpoint. Yeah. It was pinpoint. It was only going to find Boga. Uh, it's one of those that you just stand up and say, "Man, what a ball!" Um, I mean, if you if, if you want a winner, if you want a winning goal, if you want a winning assist, that's that's right up there. So, um, but I mean, it just speaks to what Sassuolo have with this front three, and then you know it remains to be seen if they're going to be able to keep Boga, who's owned by Chelsea right now. Um, you know, I I. I strongly doubt it, but Chelsea seem to be happy with their roster of wingers that it's going to be hard for Boga to break in on that team unless they decide to do something drastic or they decide to move on from some players or or whatever the case may be. Um, if they decide they want to cash in on Boga, which you know Sassuolo will put in a bid, I think what's working against Sassuolo is that Boga's turning in so many good performances right now that the price tag is going to keep going up and up and up. And I don't know what the arrangement is between Sassuolo and Chelsea, if there's an obligation or if there's a, um, or if there's an option. Um, if you want to talk, sing Jeremy Boga's praises for a minute, I'll look that up. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jeremy Boga is a session player. Yeah. Obviously he's been playing really well late with a lot of gold week candidates. Um, what's failed to mention is he, he was uh, the one who was taken down on the box in the 62nd minute uh, that led to the Caputo penalty kick goal. So Boga has been everywhere. Uh, playing, you know, playing obviously goal scorer, but also playmaker, uh, and he knows how to make these runs. And uh, Jeremy Boga does everything that you would want as a player, and you hope that uh, Sassuolo will be able to keep him because he seems to be working really well with us, with the, with his uh, teammates are at the moment. The Jeremy, the way he the Jeremy has the team playing, was really excellent. Uh, and he made the excellent run to find uh, Berardi. He wasn't lazy about it at all. He was still hungry. And he, if you watch the run, he comes basically from the from the sideline, makes that run, uh, and gets into the box. And, and Berardi sees it from the beginning. And good for him to keep running because a lot of youngsters, they will stop that run if they if they don't think it's going to get to them. If you look at the ball, it doesn't look like the, that ball is going to meet Boga's head. But Boga kept running at it and perfectly timed. Uh, wonderful goal by Boga. And it just it, it just a snapshot of what he means to this team, you know, gets a goal, sets up another one. Uh, he's been doing this for the last how many weeks now? And we've been singing his praises for two seasons now. So uh, I'm curious really what the contract says uh, for between Chelsea and Sassuolo. Uh, what little bits I'm reading is that he's actually, uh, he's actually a Sassuolo player. Nice. Uh, but there is a clause where Chelsea can buy him back for 15 million. Uh, um, well, Napoli, I mean, and the, and, and the latest thing that I saw was that Napoli, Napoli want him and that uh, De Laurentiis is ready to spend anywhere between 18 to 20 million for him. What could end up happening is that Chelsea buys Boga for 15 million and then sells him back to Napoli for the 20, you know, to get some kind of profit off of him, uh, some kind of additional profit off of him. So it's kind of a weird situation, but from the looks of it, from at least what, couple little snippets i could read is that he is owned by sassuolo maybe somebody out there can clear that up for us it's uh it, it's definitely interesting to uh, uh to find that out so i hope he stays say, I, sit down and let us know yeah tweet us says, too. yeah somebody knows the uh maybe steven moore might know uh a little bit and can help us out with that so um 
but uh, but nonetheless, I hope he stays in Serie A. He's a, he's a bright talent and is having an excellent season uh, with the Nero Verdi. Uh, goals of the week. Um, I'll go first. I'm going to give that Boga goal an honorable mention. It as good as it was, as good as that ball was from Berardi, not cracking my top five. Uh, Jose Callejon with that uh, overhead kick uh, to try to get the game back for Napoli. And then Ronaldo's goal also hits my honorable mention. A nice individual effort from him. But somehow there's five goals better than those three, uh, in my opinion. And I'll start at number five. It is Gaston Ramirez's free kick for Sampdoria. Um, brilliant goal. Uh, uh, number four for me is Musa Beto's second goal for uh, uh, Bologna. Uh, just an individual effort, just uh, pace, power, beating a defender, finishing. Uh, well taken there. Number three, I'm going with Stefan de Vrij for Inter. Um, with you know a headed goal, a, a sacrifice your body kind of goal from a difficult angle, sacrifice your head and, and sacrifice your brain cells <laughs> from a difficult angle uh, you know to score that. And then uh, I'm going to go with Mancosu's free kick as number two. Just what a banging goal that was. And then uh, number one for me is Marcelo Brozovic. Uh, the, when he struck that, I said, that's the goal of the week for me. I mean, the, the, the sweetness of the strike, the technique that was applied, and the significance of that goal in that game uh, all adds up for me to have Marcelo Brozovic's volley being the goal of the week. All right, very good, very good. Mine differs just a little bit, but, I mean, I, li- I, like, I like your shouts there. Uh, my honorable mentions, uh, DeVry's goal, Ronaldo's, Boga's, Barrow's, uh, all, I loved all those goals. Uh, but Ron Albert mentioned didn't crack my top five. My top five uh, coming to number five for me was actually uh, Torino's goal. Verdi's. I like his little touch on the on the on the cross in from his teammate. Uh, okay. Wonderful touch around the goalkeeper makes it squeeze it a pass in uh, just just inside the post. Uh, that's number five for me. Number four for me was actually Ramirez's free kick goal. Uh, really great goal. Uh, barely any run up to it. He just like basically took a step and kicked it in. Uh, wonderfully struck. Uh, number three for me, Kaya Hon's overhead kick, a consolation goal, but it was a great goal nonetheless. Um, very, uh, very creative to get the goal. Uh, score like that with, uh, with very little time to think about it, honestly. Uh, Marcelo Brozovic came in at number two for me with, my, with his goal. Uh, world-class strike there. Um, there's no arguing about that. It's number one most most weekends with me, but I like that Marco Mancosu free kick a lot. Uh, he's been stepping up for Lecce as of late, and that goal was big for them. It was the game winner. Ultimately, it was the game winner. Uh, so that is my number one right there. Okay. Uh, winner, I already said Hellas Verona. Um, just the week that they've had. You know, drawing Milan, drawing Lazio, beating Juventus within a seven-day period. Uh, and then uh, the loser for me is Torino again um, against the struggling Sampdoria team. New manager, new lease on life. Thought you'd come out with you thought they'd come out with some purpose, but just continues to magnify some of the problems that are going on with the Granata at the moment. Uh, and they're my loser of the week. Yeah, so my winners of the week are. I'm going to go with uh, Inter and uh, Lazio. My first one, both going to share it. Where they took advantage of a Juventus loss, and despite all the pressure, found ways to get wins to get make the race even that much tighter. Uh, kudos to them. And then Musa Barro, uh, wonderful performance by him. Uh, two goals, helping uh, Bologna beat Roma. Uh, loser of the week, I am actually going to go with. Uh, I just had it and I lost it. <laughs> um, who did I pick? I don't remember. Oh, Cagliari. Cagliari is my loser of the week. Uh, like as you mentioned, 10, 10, 10 in a row unbeaten or un- winless. Um, what has happened to them? They were we were singing their praises. They were in the fourth Champions League spot, and all of a sudden they've just been dropping like flies. 
Um, they're doing what Inter and, and Roma typically do this time of year uh, with with a windless uh, form. So will it end? Who knows? Uh, but Moran has really got his, his hot seat. It's probably starting to get a lot warmer now. We were singing his praises at the beginning of the season. We got we to gotta crucify him now. Um, so they are my losers of the week. Okay. Your goals of the week, your winners and losers, go to at Serie Sit down on Twitter or Instagram. We're going to wrap this bad boy up with a little Copa Italia talk. All right, Richard, the first legs of the Copa Italia. I just hate that they do these semifinals as two legs, don't you? I do, I do. It um, ends well for us. <laughs> yeah. So... Okay, so because now Inter and Milan play this derby, and now they've got a quick turnaround and have to play the Copa semifinals. It's just the the logistics of this schedule is just painful. But nonetheless, Inter hosting Napoli on Wednesday, Milan hosting Juventus on uh, on Thursday. So the uh, grounds crew at the San Siro is going to put in a lot of overtime this week. Uh, you know, between the derby and now having the pitch ready to play two more games, and then I believe Milan play at home. Uh, next weekend, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, uh, the uh, uh, the folks at the San Siro are going to be pretty busy, uh, needless to say. Um, the team that has the most to gain by winning the Coppa Italia is Napoli. I know that Jerry mentioned this. Jerry's picking the Napoli to win the Coppa Italia for those reasons. I'm, I'm struggling to get there with how inconsistent they are. I don't know how much Inter prioritized this. You know, I, I look at this as Inter got hit in the, you know, Inter just went through a very emotional derby. Napoli got hit in the mouth by Lecce at home. I, I think this is going to end. I, I don't see a winner here. I think this is going to go 1-1. I think this is going to be tight. I don't know how much priority. I mean, if, if, if you get to the semifinals, you got to assume that you're in it to win it, but I think that both of these teams are going to are, are coming off of, uh, you know, emotional games for different reasons, and I think that you're going to see some hangover to both of these teams. And I think one one is fair for what I see in the first leg between Inter and Napoli. Yeah, uh, and I, does is, does there an away goal rule? And I, I don't remember anymore. Yeah, there is. There yep. is. Okay. Um. Yeah, one one would be an excellent result for Napoli, wouldn't it? Uh, especially because of being on the road. Sure. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how these teams, especially Inter, how they prioritize. I mean, right now they're tied and tied for first in the, in the Scudetto race. Uh, we obviously know that they wanna. They obviously wanna win that. Um, I would think, and and maybe it's part of listening to Alex Alex Dono yesterday. Um. Conte is going to want to get as many titles as possible, just to just to brag about it. Um, so he's probably going to field a strong lineup. But I like your shot about that being a very close game. Um, Napoli have been playing really well as of late against some of the bigger teams. Um, obviously, Lecce is not a bigger team, so they they struggled against them. But uh, I, I I like the draw. I think a, a score draw is probably the way to go, and maybe one one or something like that. Um, could be a good result because I could see a hangover for Inter after such an emotional game. Both game, both teams had emotional wins, but Inter, especially, uh, especially the manner that they won that game with four goals in the second half, is I'm sure it was emotionally draining for them. And it's going to be an obvious letdown for them uh, going against Napoli. Yeah, it's a Copa Italia, whoop you do, and it's a big opponent, but it's a derby. You're going to have a letdown, right? Uh, so I, I, I can see a score draw one one, like you said. Sure. Reno Gattuso going back to the San Siro. Yeah, 
Yeah, trying to get one back on Inter. Uh, uh, has all the storylines and makings of uh, uh, some some uh, the typical Italian drama, right? And so would not be surprised if uh, he pulls one out against Inter and kind of like, gives him the middle finger as he wins, right? <laughs> you never know. A personal derby for him, that's for sure. Uh, uh, Milan and Juventus on Thursday. Um, you know, both coming off of crushing losses. Uh, you know, and now having to re- regroup and play this derby. Uh, you know, as as far as Milan have come along, and I and I love Milan. I, I they're not ready to beat Juventus, um, and I think that Juve are going to take this first leg. I think that they're going Juve are going to use this to figure out their away problems that they've suffered in the last two games. I don't, you know, I think Milan are going to try to prioritize. It, it's going to be weird. Because Milan's in a spot where they need to prioritize trying to finish sixth, you know, and and get a European place. Certainly, there's a path to Europe by winning the Coppa Italia, um, you know. But you got to look at it and say, can you know, can we beat Juventus over two legs and get to a Coppa Italia final, or does it make sense to try to fight to finish fifth or sixth in the league? Um, but they're going to go for it, obviously. How much energy is left in this team after emptying it against? Inter, um, where Juventus played a game plan against Verona that really didn't require as much energy from them. Um, I, I I struggled to see Milan winning this, and a lot of this is because Juventus have beaten Milan so many times over the years here recently that I just can't get there here. I know Milan beat them in the Super Cup a couple of years ago. I think they had the big, the famous win with Locatelli a few years back, but that's about it. And I think that Juve win this. I think they win by two goals to one because Juventus suddenly have issues defensively. I think Milan will find a way to get one out of this, uh, but I'm having a hard time seeing them getting something that they can take with confidence to the J for the second leg. Yeah, that, that's fair, and, and it's for good reason why it would be difficult for them. Um, I have a hard time seeing them win over two legs and just in general. Um it's going to be difficult. I think – I don't know how to read Pioli sometimes. Sometimes you think you know him and then he pulls something out like he did in the first half and then he reverts back the way he did in the second half. Um, so it's going to be hard to call. But I think the team will um, want to bounce back well against Inter. It will be hard you know, with the uh, emotional loss. Ibra is probably not going to start at, you know, at 38 years old. It's probably going to be uh, Rebic and Leao or something to that effect. Um, uh, I I feel like they're going to be up for the game, though. I would not be surprised if Milan won, but I don't think they'll win. Uh, and if they do win, they're certainly not going to win at the J. I think if if Juve somehow loses this game, they're going to just put their A lineup in that second game and just destroy Milan like three one or something crazy, uh, maybe three nothing. Um, but it, I think this is if, if there's a time to beat Juventus is this game because they got to really. Uh, I don't. I don't. I. I could see Juventus putting more of their A lineup in this game as opposed to the Brescia game because Brescia is a fairly easy. It should be a fairly you know straightforward game for them. Um, so I'm going back and forth, man. I. I don't know. I. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say it's a draw on this one. A score draw. It's gonna help Juventus, and then eventually it's gonna win at the J. Okay, so you got a draw for the first game, and then a Juve win in the second leg. I've got. I've got Milan losing the first leg which would effectively make it really hard for them to win at the J and, and, and get to the final. And then I've got a, 
we both got score draws for the first leg between Napoli. So, I mean, we're on yeah. a path where we're talking about this being a Napoli Juventus final uh, for the Coppa Italia. At least for the moment, unless Inter can win at the San Paolo. So, um, yeah, and, they, and what sucks for Inter is they got a big game this weekend against uh, Lazio. Um, and so it makes matters worse to have the Derby, and they go to play Napoli in a big semifinal game, and then they got to play Lazio in a, even, a, even a bigger game, higher stakes game there where neither team can afford a loss in the end of the race. And that's why I've got to score a draw here because I think there's going to be some kind of trap. I, will, I, and I won't even rule out Napoli going on the road and winning this game. But we'll see. Uh, We'll see. You know, we'll see how Conte approaches this. So those are our thoughts on the Copa Italia semifinals this week. Uh, Enjoy the games and uh, tell us what you think at Serie A Sit Down or Instagram. And we're going to put a bow on this edition of Serie A Sit Down. Uh, Richard, anything you want to shamelessly plug? Um, other than myself, as always, <laughs> at r underscore k h a r m a n on uh, Twitter, Instagram, wherever. But also, you know, go on go on YouTube for not only our series sit down page. Uh, we we are you know obviously putting, trying to put up more content, especially podcast related content as well, as well as the top five. So uh, we're trying to find ways around the the piracy. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. It's idiocracy <laughs> by Syria because idiocracy. Focus on that. Idiocracy sounds right. It's idiocracy we're talking about. So yeah. Yeah, so we got that going on, and uh, if you're into gaming, you can watch on my on my personal page. I do a little uh, Palermo, trying to bring it back to Syria with football managers. So there's that, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm at FTC underscore twenty one, uh, and you can just find all of my musings there. I'll typically get into some threads about things that are going on in Syria, random comments, and things of the like. Um, Syria Sit Down, we have our own channel on Apple Podcasts. We have our own channel on SoundCloud. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, just about anywhere you can find uh, podcasts. You can find Syria Sit Down. Uh, check out our channel on YouTube. We're putting out, you know, we're doing this on video now, and we're going to try to find snippets. Last week, we got my take on Lazio and Richard's take on Lazio and whether or not they're truly contenders. And a week later, they beat Parma in a tough game and show that they still are contenders. So, um, Serie uh, A sit down, don't lie, folks. Uh, so check out some of those uh, video clips, and uh, there's some tactical stuff on there. Eventually, I'm going to get on there and uh, uh, put together some information of my own. I got to get a camera. I can't just do this through my own laptop. I think that's, that's part right. of it. But yeah, start upgrading my own equipment, and and we'll get there. But anyway, so check play by that. Play by play pod. Follow that up. Play by play pod. Thank you guys, Jerry, Sabrina. Check them out. Uh, check out uh, our comprehensive. Uh, review of the Milan Derby was uh, an excellent conversation. Great roundtable discussion with Jerry, Sabrina, and Alex Dono. Check them out. And uh, we are at Serie A Sit Down on Twitter, at Serie A Sit Down on Instagram. We have our page on Facebook. Plenty out there on the social media. Hit us up uh, with any comments, questions, uh, suggestions for future podcasts, uh, suggestions for future guests. We're uh, we're all ears. So, um, so thank you very much for listening to us today. Uh, Richard, uh, great stuff. Looking forward to next week. All right. Absolutely, absolutely. Got the thumbs up. So for Richard, I'm Frank. Thank you for listening. And as always, make sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.